Thank you, choir and orchestra, for leading us in worship this morning. Today I'm excited to be here to have an opportunity to share a message from God's Word. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you guys that uh, we had a change in our family and that my oldest uh, started driving. I'm happy to report that I have come to accept that she is of driving age and she's done very well. The video games have paid off. We're actually, uh, much to her disliking, she, we're having her learn to drive manual transmission. So it's, it's coming along. She's doing very, very well. Now, she is not as confident in herself, but she is doing extremely well, extremely well. Well, this morning, we're going to pick up uh, right where we left off last week when Mason preached out of Nehemiah chapter 1. If you remember last week, he talked about there's a sentence at the very end of the chapter that sometimes we can have a tendency to overlook. Now the sentence that occurs at the very end of chapter 1, it says, Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This is speaking of the position that Nehemiah held. And I don't think it can be overstated enough that God placed Nehemiah exactly where he needed to be in order for Nehemiah to answer the call that he placed on his life. And I believe that God still today does that exact same thing with us. He places us exactly where he wants us so that maybe he can accomplish something in our own lives or maybe he wants to accomplish something through us. Mason talks about these 500 breakthroughs that we're going to be challenging our congregation with in this coming year. It could be that you are placed in someone's life to make an impact on their life for Jesus Christ. And so we need to be aware, always aware, that no matter what we're dealing with or going through in life, that God is working in our lives and sometimes working through us, and we ought to always be looking for how he might want to use us. Now, we'll see in chapter 2 that the fact that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, it played a significant role in moving Nehemiah closer to taking action on this call that God had placed on his life. We'll be looking at the first 12 verses in Nehemiah chapter 2. And in these verses, we're going to see that God provides. But... We're going to see five things that Nehemiah did as he saw God provide on this call that God had placed on him. So starting in verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, 
And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the, of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. In the very first verse, we see a reference to a time within the year. Now if you remember last week, when Nehemiah first heard the report about the condition that Jerusalem was in, it happened around the November to December time frame. When we look at this particular calendar reference, it's happening in around April or May. And so in this time frame, we've seen that four to six months have elapsed since Nehemiah first heard about the condition of Jerusalem when he was first called by God. So the first thing that we see in Nehemiah is that he was patient. He was patient after first hearing of this call that was placed on his life. Now four to six months is really not that long of a time frame. When we look at other references in which God has his people wait, this is relatively short. Moses, he got to spend 40 years wandering in the desert before he led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Then he got to spend another 40 years with the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. If you remember, Abraham was pri- he promised a son. Isaac came 25 years later. The people of Israel, they got to spend 400 years in slavery. So God does make his people wait. I know in my own personal life, I felt God's call on my life when I was 18 years old. A call to go into the ministry. I did not go into the ministry until I was 31 years old. 13 years had passed by. And when I look back at that 13 years, I know that God was very much at work, even at times when I was not. God takes time to move us, to develop us. Sometimes he's got to get the right pieces in place. Sometimes he has to prepare the hearts of maybe the individual or even a group of people so that they are ready to take on that call that he's placed on their life. Because sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we're not ready to take that first step when God calls us. 
I know at 18 I wasn't ready. And so we always have to be aware that we are patient. But often, it's not us being patient and waiting on God. It's God being patient and waiting on us. But in the meantime, we must be always continually seeking Him out. Because He's wanting to prepare our hearts to fulfill His call on our life. But here's one thing I know for certain. God's timing is always right. So while we're patient, while we're waiting, we must pray. We see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. If we go back to last week in chapter 1, after Nehemiah heard the report of Jerusalem, it says in verse 4 that he immediately went, he wept, and he mourned, for days. And then he says, I continued to fast and pray to the God of heaven. This is a man that knew exactly who he needed to turn to. He knew that he had to turn to the one who could correct the circumstance to change the situation that they were in. You see, he was a part of this third wave of exiles to return Many of the people of Israel had lost hope in God. But those verses right there tell us that Nehemiah had not. Because a man who says, I continued to fast and pray is something he's been doing for quite some time. And we can be certain that during that time of four to six months that elapsed, he was praying and seeking out the Lord. See, people, if we are called by God... We are to be people that humble ourselves before God in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we are to pray without ceasing. It should be such a natural part of what we do that no matter what the circumstance is or the situation, that our hearts immediately go to God. And we pray and ask for His wisdom and His guidance And we see an example of that in chapter 2, verse 4. As he's standing before the king, the king recognizes the sadness. Nehemiah shares about the sadness. But then the king asks him a question. He says, what are you requesting? I want you to notice what it says in verse 4. After this question is asked, what does Nehemiah do? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So in that moment, as he's standing before this king, he prays to God. He turns to the one that can give him the wisdom, that give him the guidance and the words of what to say to this king that he's standing before. So that even in these moments, as we live our lives, we ought to be people of prayer who are turning to God throughout the day. This is such a natural part of who we are. We turn and pray to God. Jump with me down to the middle of verse 12. The very last sentence that we read. It says, and I told no one. what my God had put into my heart 
to do for Jerusalem. See, when we pray, God speaks to us. But how many times in our prayer life do we just sit and listen? I know if you're at all like me that sometimes I sit and I pray and I just start going to town. I just lay it all on the Lord, which I believe he calls us to do. But I think there's this element of prayer we ought to be sitting quietly and listening. And that's hard to do. Because I tell you, when I sit quiet and listen, my brain is going everywhere. It's a challenge. But we are to call to listen to God. God will speak to our hearts. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Sometimes he'll speak to us through other people. But we ought to be always listening for what God wants to show us. And in this verse right here, we see that Nehemiah, in his time of prayer, God had spoke to his heart as to what he was to do for Jerusalem. See, if we do not spend significant time on our knees before God, praying to God, then how can we know what is the will of God? How can we know his heart? See, when we pray, it's a time in which our hearts can align with his heart. And when our hearts align with his heart, then we are on the right path that he wants us to head down. Now, Mason challenged us last week to take every Thursday, he mentioned it earlier today, to fast. Fast from something that you might do on a regular basis so that you take that time and pray. It's all about aligning all of our hearts collectively as a church together with the one that is moving and directing this body of believers. So while we must be patient, we must pray, we also must plan. We can see evidence that in Nehemiah's time of prayer, he was seeking out the Lord's plans. We jump back up to verse 5. As he's standing before the king, the king asks him, what are you requesting? He prays to God, but then he gives him an answer starting in verse 5. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. When we read those four verses, we see what appears to be plans that were laid on Nehemiah's heart. The first thing that he tells the king is allow me to go to Judah so that I can rebuild it. So maybe a big picture Maybe the details aren't all worked out, but he knows that he needs to go. 
But see, then the king follows up with the question. Well, how long will you be gone? Now, the scripture doesn't give us a specific time frame. But he does say that it pleased the king when I gave him a time. I don't think that Nehemiah just pulled some random time frame out of the air and said it to the king in that moment. He'd been planning. God had laid on his heart the plan that God had for him. But then he takes it a step further. He asks that these letters be given to him so that he could give them to the governors of these provinces so that he would have safe passage to Judah. He also requests that a letter be given to Asaph the keeper of the forest, so that they could begin, begin gathering the resources, the timber that was needed in order for them to start rebuilding the gates, start rebuilding the walls, even to the point of saying the house that I'm to occupy. He'd been seeking out, asking specifically for God to show him his plan. As he stood before the king, And he asked the king for these things. We see that Nehemiah, during that time of waiting and praying, he'd been preparing himself for when the time and when the opportunity presented itself, he was ready. He was ready to go. Now, Mason, if you remember, talked last week about sometimes God doesn't give us every step down this path to take. He doesn't paint this beautiful image of what it's going to be like when we get there. Oftentimes, God will give us that first step. And he'll lay that first step out in front of us, say, this is where I want you to go. Now, oftentimes, it's not a step like this. Oftentimes, it's more like a step where you're really stepping off a step of faith. And sometimes he wants us to take that step when we don't even have a clue as to what step number two is going to be. And we need to rely on him so that when he opens the door for us to take that step, we're willing to do it. We must be patient, pray, seek out the Lord's plan. But in order to take that first step, we must have faith. We must have faith that God will provide. We look back up to verse number two. As he's standing in the king's presence, I want you to notice that he says, I have never been sad before the king before. But then he follows it up after the king asks him why he's sad. Now, I was very much afraid. You see, kings wanted to be surrounded by people who were joyful, happy, that would uplift their spirits. They didn't want to be surrounded by people who would bring them down. So Nehemiah asked this question, why is your face sad? I can see that you're not sick, so it must be something in your heart. But before he answers the king, he's very afraid. And Nehemiah had every incentive to blow it off like it was no big deal that, I'm good. How many of you guys have ever been sad before or down and someone has noticed and they ask, is everything all right? 
Sometimes my response is, oh yeah, everything's good. I put on a fake smile and hope no one else notices. But Nehemiah is standing there with his job, potentially his life on the line. He's very afraid of this circumstance. But having the faith that he has in God, he's honest with the king. He says, I'm sad because the place where my father's grave is lies in ruins. He shares this burden that has been placed on his heart. A burden that he's been carrying for four to six months. He took that first step of faith in being honest with the king. And that got him closer to taking action on the call that God placed on his life. Jump down to verse 8, the last part of 8. After sharing the request that he needed from the king. At the end of verse 8 he says, now... The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. Here's an instance in which Nehemiah's faith has been strengthened. He's taken that first step. He's been honest with the king. He shared his request with the king, and the king has granted what he asked for. But Nehemiah recognizes that it wasn't because of anything that he did. It was because the hand of his God was upon him. Now, if we are never willing to take a step of faith, then our faith can never be strengthened. We've got to be willing to take that step. And sometimes taking a step of faith is scary, it's difficult, there's challenges that lie ahead. Sometimes we even face opposition. But we need to have faith that God is going to be the one that provides you look at what happens next in verse 10, Nehemiah faces opposition. He arrives at these provinces, gives these letters, and the people are not happy that there's someone there for the welfare of the people of Israel. He's facing opposition, but he still has faith that God will provide, that God will help him accomplish this call that has been placed on his life. We must realize that when we're called by God, it doesn't mean that we're going to have a smooth road ahead. Oftentimes it's quite the opposite. So when we work for God and we are furthering his kingdom, there is one who wants to prevent that. His name is Satan. He'll do anything he can to get in the way of us fulfilling the call that God's placed on us as individuals and as a church. Satan wants to destroy anything that's going to further God's kingdom. And we must be aware of that. But we don't lose hope in that. Because we have, praise, praise God, that we have hope and the one that can defeat Satan. You see, Satan sometimes will work in obvious ways, but sometimes he works in subtle ways. Sometimes it's simple discouragement that will prevent us from taking that step of faith and maybe sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe even just talking to someone about church in general. Sometimes discouragement prevents us from taking that step 
that God wants us to take. So even when opposition arises, we need to stand firm in God and have faith that he is going to get us through. Now, in verses 13 through 19, we're not going to read those this morning. Nehemiah goes and inspects the walls. As he inspects the walls, he sees the state that Jerusalem is in. That alone could have been discouraging. Not to mention he's got people that are opposing this move forward. I want you guys to listen. Listen to what he says in verse 20. Then I replied to them, replying to those that opposed him, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Standing before those who opposed him, he stands confident in his faith that God is going to allow them to prosper, that God is going to be the one that allows them to rebuild. This is also an encouragement for those that stand around him, those that know what is coming, that maybe know the plans that God has laid. He's standing firm and has faith in God. This statement alone summarizes that Nehemiah had total dependence on God to accomplish the call that was given to him. We too must fully depend on God. When we depend on God, you see, the call of God is no easy task. Oftentimes, it's above our strength, it's above our wisdom, it's above our understanding, and it's above our abilities. Now, for those that are not believers, well, that sounds like there's not a whole lot of hope in that. But as a believer, we find hope in that because that's exactly where God would have us. God wants us to be in a place where we are totally dependent upon him. I've experienced this with all my kids. And some of you have had kids in your home or probably relate to this. Right now with Kylie being the age of three, really it started when she was two, she's trying to display her independence. And there's many times where she'll want to do something that I know good and well she's not going to be able to do. It may be as simple as getting dressed, putting on shoes, doing her hair. This morning, for whatever reason, she asked to set the alarm on the house I'm not exactly sure how I feel about that one. We have this stool in our house that gives her access to far too many things. But she thinks she can do so many things. And there'll be times when I recognize, Kylie, you're not going to be able to do that on your own. And I'll offer my help. I say, Kylie, do you want Daddy to help? And she'll look me dead in the eye with a stern voice. No, Daddy, I can do it. I back off and say, okay, boss, have at it. So I'll walk away, I'll step away, sometimes even leave her presence and allow her to try to accomplish whatever task she's doing. And more often than not, I hear her little feet come running across the floor. 
Daddy, I need your help. And so I turn to her, and I help her. See, this is what God sometimes has to do with us. Sometimes we try to do so many things on our own. And God lets us. We'll let him try it. But then he wants us to come to that place of realizing that we cannot do it without him. See, oftentimes, we think that we're to be independent of God. We're to be dependent on God. But see, sin, sin has convinced us and sometimes makes us rely more on ourselves than God ever intended. We need to come to that place where we are totally dependent on God to provide. Sometimes it means we need to be patient. We need to, without a doubt, be praying. We need to be seeking out God's plans. And we need to have faith that He will provide. I'm going to ask Matt and Nancy to come on up and to prepare us for closing. I'm going to close with a reading from Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to ask that as I read Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a prayer that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. He wanted the people in the church to turn their eyes back to the one. Back to the one who could move them and redeem them. Back to the one who really is able to accomplish everything. So I'm going to ask that as I, as I read through this passage of Scripture, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes and really listen to these words that Paul wrote. And may it be our prayer, may it be our prayer that turns our hearts to depend on God, to depend on God to provide, to move, to restore, so that it can be all for His glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all, with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.